and welcome back to another episode of Relatable Chapters. In this episode, we're joined by Cameron Lee. Cam is a fine specimen of a man who never used to train legs. <laughs> Just kidding, Cam. Cam is a ballsy young man who started a company with his best mate, Angus, during the early years at university. The pair shared a similar mindset and tended to scheme up different ways that they could make money. On behalf of the duo, this is Cam's take on the creation of the Flatpak Company. From bootlegging beds and mattresses atop their car, Zoom meetings with manufacturers in Asia, to solidifying themselves in New Zealand, and searching for new territory to conquer. It is an interesting journey, and one that did not miss. The aspect that hit home was about their unsuccessful quest to launch in the States, and the resultant reflection of his values, time, and what his priorities are in life. But his journey is not just the Flatpak Company, so his turning points are as follows. Boarding school, the Flatpak Company, learning to surf, trying to launch a business in the United States, starting CrossFit. Cheers, Cam, for being a good cunt, and I'll see you at the Squat Rack next week, eh? Don't forget to click on the podcast follow button. I hope you benefit. How's it going, mate? Good, bro. Really good, good week so far? Any small wins? Uh, yeah, we always always have small wins. It's been a short week. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. So what um, have you got? Uh, small wins this week. Come on, you've always got them. We are about to do our... So our business is split up into two markets. We're about to do our biggest ever month in one of the markets. Oh, um, yeah. So it's been yeah, an incredible like few weeks of sales, which is cool. What um, are the two markets? So we just surface level. Yeah. We'll so we have obviously. the student market, which is where the business started. Yeah. And then what we call like the graduate or the everyday Kiwi market, which is everyday Kiwis who are looking to buy furniture. Yeah. Fuck, that's interesting. Yeah. Already off the bat. Okay. Yeah. Oh, let me just write that down. Two different markets. Yeah. Uh, what are three things you're grateful for today? Uh, I'm grateful for this team, uh, the team at the flat pack. Where yeah, love love working at the flat pack and. The team that we've built here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm grateful for the freedom that I have in my life. Um, yeah, I wake up every day and, and choose to do this, but you know, don't have to as such. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm grateful for living at the beach. I love the beach. Love surfing. Love the lifestyle that the mountain has to offer. It's pretty good. Eh? Um, yeah, bro. Absolutely love it. So. Um, mine this week is I'm um, grateful for the Physio Lab Run Club. Six okay. fifteen down here nice, on a bro. Thursday. That was this morning. It was nice little chill run. Yeah, beautiful sunrise, mate. You missed it. You're in class, eh? Uh yes, I was in class. Yeah. Oh, Theo, Theo actually promised me he'd be in class this morning as well. He was running with me. I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He does a few too many promises, eh? It does. Yeah. Yeah, he's flaky. He's. Flaky. <laughs> um, I'm also grateful my 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 tight knit family, and uh, my physical health. Um. I just know a few of my friends are sick at the moment, and pretty grateful for when you're not sick. You know your your health. Yeah. Um. I'd, so I'd have to put my family on there as well. Yeah. yeah. It, it's a bit always, different. Though, like, always grateful for them. Yeah. There's things that you're always grateful for. So like I do a gratitude journal every day. You know, and uh, those are the surface level things. Well, not surface level, but the things that are consistent. So when you start doing it consistently, you're like, oh, what else? What else? What are the smaller things? Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's the the beauty of doing a gratitude journal daily. Is that you start looking at all those smaller little details? Gotcha. Yeah. 
I like living at the beach, I suppose. You know, being able to go surfing. Yeah. Uh, so standard fashion, we're going to flick through your turning points. So just on a surface level, we've got your boarding school, the flat pack company, which we just touched on there. Learning to surf, which you just t- touched on as well. Um, trying to launch the business in the United States. And also starting CrossFit. Mm. So CrossFit is where we met um, a few months ago now. And <sighs> yep. It's, it's a weird place to meet people, but um, I'll it's get great. to that. Yeah, yeah it's great. Love it's it. the best place at the moment. Eh? But yeah, boarding school. So this is your first key turning point. First question on this. Were you bullied much or was there much bullying? It seems to be a common theme. Yeah. I've had a few boarders on this podcast. Really? Okay. Uh, didn't get bullied. So you were the bully then? Definitely didn't bully. <laughs> yeah. um, no, nah, we... Was there a bit of that going on though? I'd Just say, like the hierarchy I'd, between I'd, like year I'd 12, year 13s? Yeah, maybe, maybe. But I'd I'd say I was like always with a, a pretty like good group of mates. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a couple of my best mates, we started boarding together in year seven and went the whole way through and like we're still best mates. What school? St. Peter's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, nonetheless, like we had, yeah, had a great bunch of lads, and um, we're all really good mates to this day. And so, where are you from? Uh, you from Tira. Oh yeah, yeah, you know Tira, big sheep and dog. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, oh, so yeah I suppose there's not really much, many good schools around Tira. There's no high schools. Isn't in it Tito? Tito, yeah, sure. Yeah, um, yeah so grew up there. just recently popped up. Grew up there oh, on yeah. a dairy farm with mum and dad, and. Then went to school in Cambridge, and then, yeah. Are you a dairy farmer? I'm not a dairy farmer. I'm a dad of dairy farmers. Were you, like, dairy farming, though, when you were a child? Like, on school yeah. holidays and yeah. shit? Yeah, big time. Fuck, I wouldn't have picked it, I. Yeah. <laughs> Why's um, that? Why that, Mason? Oh, because you're a businessman, you know? <laughs> I don't know, you're prim and proper. <laughs> oh, I could have worn our bloody red bands today. <laughs> oh. oh, I just didn't, I don't know. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like a, the rugged edge of a farmer, mm. you know, that you don't really have. Yeah. You're clean shaven and all that. Maybe it's because you can't grow a fish. <laughs> That's why, bro. Yeah, my vimba's coming. I'm worried. <laughs> <laughs> Get a bit of your Mrs. Mascara. <laughs> um, did, it, did this did this force you to grow up fast? Is this kind of yeah, hundred yeah, um, percent. Because year seven is what, like, like yeah, you're 11, eleven years old. Eleven years old, like away from home. Yeah, like it was pretty. It was pretty hard at the start. Like mm-hmm. there was only there's not many borders that go at year seven, so we're pretty like pretty young to. I guess be leaving home. Yeah. Did you have older siblings at all at school as well? Nah, I'm no, not. So I'm, you're the, I'm first, the oldest. Yeah. First to go as well. Yeah. First to go, and then um, they've got a younger brother and a younger sister who both came boarding as well. Um, but yeah, it was pretty much like mum and dad sort of drop you off, and then See you you're on your own, you know, next few weeks. Yeah. And yeah. And they have this like protocol, and at St Peter's anyway, I imagine it's at most boarding schools where. For the first four weeks, you're not allowed to go home. Mm-hmm. Um, helps you like, settle in without, yeah, without mum and dad being around. Homesickness. Yeah, like, to 100%. Curb it in a um, way, yeah. But that was like, yeah, it was like it's pretty hard, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like you're pretty uncomfortable as a 11-year-old in yeah. a, an unfamiliar place with no one, you know, you don't know anyone at the start. And I suppose by the end of it, it, it puts you in a situation where you're out of your initial comfort zone and you're comfortable enough to, say, wander away from the nest. Mm. So you said just before uh, to me that you went into Dunners. Yeah. So that wasn't much of a leap for because sure. you've already yeah, been out of sure. home, so you're already used to that detachment. 100%. Yeah. 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 It definitely, like, makes you mature up like, extremely quickly and 
Yeah, you learn and to, un- learn to look after yourself, do yeah, your washing, you, can, you know? Like, get through things. <laughs> yeah. uh, you don't need the, the parents over yeah. your shoulder. You've, yeah, all of a sudden have like quite a lot of independence. Yeah. What sort of values did you learn during boarding school that you kind of been able to hold on to today? Um, Just being able to look after yourself? Yeah, I'd say, yeah, of course, like that stuff, but like you know, maybe going a bit deeper, like resilience. Mm-hmm. Um you're like put in often put in situations with people that you don't necessarily want mm. to live with or be around and a lot of that's actually to do with like well sometimes ethnicity mm. you know like a lot of uh, we had a lot of like asian borders or people that lived or came from um overseas um often like chinese or, or japanese or who who came to school and um you got to live with like live with them a lot of indian like indian schools Oh, sorry, Indian um, kids. I didn't even know that. I thought you were going to say it's predominantly white. There, I mean, there are a lot of yeah, yeah. people, but um, the but border, a lot of but borders, borders like tend to come from yeah, far and further away. So all the international kids board. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like pretty interesting, you know. Like again, as an eleven-year-old, five-year-old, like learning how to deal with that and mm. uh, their different well, their ways different of life. Cultures, and, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like really eye-opening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a bit different when you um, just see them, or not nine to five, but what like eight to four every day to actually living with them twenty four seven. Yeah, it's a bit different. Eh? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that definitely like built a bit of bit of resilience mm. and, um, yeah. So moving into your next one, which is um, the flat pack com- flat pack company. So you studied at Dunners, and this was the end of first year that. This company came about. Yeah. What is the flat pack company? So we sell furniture. Mm-hmm. Started off selling furniture to university students. So students moving out of halls. Um, most students, you know, go into halls in their first year of university where furniture is provided. Um, and when they move out of halls into their first flat, they typically move into an unfinished flat. Mm. And trying to find decent furniture as a student is an absolute nightmare. Um, yeah, you always find secondhand shit. Secondhand right? stuff, which um, I guess is, is secondhand. But you know what? I'll call my mate out here. So I've interviewed a sister, Laurie Yates. So my best friend Sam, he went over to Brisbane for maybe two years. So similar thing, buying secondhand stuff. He bought a bed that came with a, a fitted sheet, mm. and he used it. Yeah, that's disgusting. That's <laughs> fucking foul, <laughs> eh? Yeah. He said he washed it. I'm like, bro, if you found someone's pair of undies, would you wash it and use it? No. Yeah, no. it's like a fucking Unless they were Lululemon. Ooh, debatable. <laughs> yeah, debatable. Must have been a nice fitted sheet. Fuck, it must have been yeah. like some of that Egyptian cotton or something. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's that's what we do. Yep. Um, as a student, it's like extremely difficult. Let's say you're moving from Auckland down to Dunedin. Um, you're away from mum and dad. You don't tend to have family. Probably don't have family in Dunedin. So... You know, trying to even like buy secondhand furniture, pick it up, store it over summer, it's a massive hassle. Mm. Um, so we, at the end of our first year, we were basically in the same position as everyone else, moving into a flat that was unfurnished. And we had a mate that came into our room, her name was Katrina, at the at the end of our first year, like we're in the middle of exams and she's like, man, have you guys like sorted your bed yet? You know, all these beds are popping up on Facebook Marketplace all the graduating students are leaving and selling mm. all this stuff. Like, it's real cheap, but, like, 
I don't know what to do with yeah, it, you yeah, know? Yeah. Like, I, I could buy one of these things and I, I don't have anywhere to put it. Like, my lease doesn't start until the 1st of January. I, like, I don't know how I'm going to pick it up. Mm-hmm. And me and Gus, at the start, Gus and I were like, fuck, what are we going to do, you know? Like, this, we were sort of, I guess, self-interested, going, what, you know, what, what are we actually going to do here? Like, yep. What so, are, Gus, your business partner? Gus is my business partner, yeah. Um, and then Katrina left and we sort of locked the door and went, fuck. This is a pretty good idea. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, what if we, what if we just went and bought all these secondhand beds, stored them over summer, and then delivered them the following year as our mates, you know, returned back to university. So we sort of spent like 20 or 30 minutes just doing a quick little brainstorm. And we decided <clears throat> we'll chuck a post up on our whole Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were in Cumberland College down in Dunedin. Um, 300 kids or so live in there. Um, we chucked a, a post up uh, basically saying we've got 30 secondhand beds for, for sale. Uh, for 200 bucks, we'll deliver on the same day you move in next year. Um, here's our bank account details. You know, If you're interested, let us know and, and chuck some money through. And literally within 20 minutes, we had sold 30 beds. Um, and had you started buying beds? Hadn't bought a single bed yet. Do you have like logistic goodwill? Like we, hadn't thought, we hadn't thought yeah, through that. Yeah. We were we had exam. We we're literally in the middle of exams. Um, had hadn't thought through it one bit. Okay, we'll, like, we'll come back to that. Yeah. So that was before the flat packet even started, right? This was like the yeah. That was the start the, of it. The so yeah. you just mentioned before we came on here that you you always scheming stuff, you and Gus. Mm. So there was multiple ideas prior to this. Yeah, there were. We spent the first year like. I guess ideating, lots yeah. of different things. What were you studying? Um, business. Business. I did accounting. Gus did finance. Yeah. So we, I guess we both like have a business mind, you know. Um, you both just scheming, scheming, yeah, scheming. Like kind of a little bit like just the ultramarital spirit coming out in us. And yeah, we sort of spent a lot of like long nights just talking shit really. Yeah, yeah. Um, about different ideas. Do you remember and, any other ideas you had? Um, I actually... Can't remember any other ideas that have legs. Yeah, yeah. okay. We so just yeah. spinning fat yarns and generally just spinning yarns. Yeah. When we were in first year, like vapes were starting to pop up. Yeah. I don't vape. Gus doesn't vape. Uh, in no way did we, you know, want to get into that business. Like yeah. I think it's fucking horseshit. But anyway, um, that was like popping off, and we had a couple of mates that got into like selling vape juice and stuff. Yeah. And it's big like, in Australia, right? Yeah, it's big here too, right? Yeah, but like uh, in terms of black market selling, right? Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that sort of, I guess that was like not an idea, but mm. that was something we saw happening. Um, so you're very open-minded. You're scheming on how to make more money and. This or how to make or any how to money, make money. Yeah. Uh, broke, broke students you know, yeah, no as, as your fucking students yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and then this opportunity arose so when this yeah when this popped up it was sort of like fuck we could just do this over summer instead of getting a summer job mm-hmm. or like you know if we sell these 30 second hand beds there's a few thousand bucks that we can have you know instead of getting a summer job um, yeah, but did you look at the numbers that you would have needed to get to not have a summer student job not really to be fair yeah. not really just when the idea came up it was like it was not never we never made it out to be this yeah. big business, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was just like, fuck, we could do this over summer, you know, yeah. um, make a bit of cash. Yeah. So that's what we did. Yeah. So how did it all pan out? 20 minutes, 30 beds sold. Pretty much. Did you buy 30? Were you able to buy 30 beds? We were able to buy 30. Where yeah. did you store it? We, so 
once we had basically everyone's cash in our account, we're like, fuck, there's like a few thousand bucks in there, you know. That's more money than we've ever had in our whole life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, so we basically started, we we messaged everyone on Facebook Marketplace, every bed that we could find. We said, we'll buy it. Um, you know, some of these beds were like 50 bucks, some were, some were 100 bucks, some were free. You know, mm-hmm. some of these students are just like, just take it off my hands, like, I don't want it. Um, so we probably cleaned out maybe 15 or 20 beds on that the first night or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and we basically like, we're running this big spreadsheet, like we'll you know pick it up on this day at this sort of time. And then we went door knocking to find the, the last 10 or 15 that, that we needed. Um, so sort of lined up 30 beds, um, borrowed a mate's car, hired a trailer for two days and ripped around North Dunedin and just picking up these beds. Um, and we ended up hiring a 40-foot, Shipping container, yeah, um, to store the products in over over summer. So, so was that at a yard or something? Yeah, at yeah, like yeah. A, a self storage facility. We actually use that facility still, still to, to this day. day. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is really really funny. Um, so yeah, we pretty much spent two days ripping around, picking out. We could pick up two beds at a time, so we could fit two beds in this trailer. Two beds, so drop off two beds. Fifteen drop off. fifteen trips yeah. back and forth, and um, I think. If I remember Gus was driving and I was like on the spreadsheet communicating with everyone going like we're 15 minutes away you know yeah. and we'd rip in pick it up as quick as we can give them the money and, and keep going um, and anyway bro we so we stored them in there for summer we went both went home for summer I went um, back to well, back to Tira Gus lives in Christchurch so he was there and then we sort of came down a week or so before everyone else moved in and in Dunedin everyone moves in like typical most people move in in the first couple of weeks of February mm-hmm. So uh, we came down like late January, um, <laughs> went to sort of open up the storage unit and opened it up and like there were fucking legs flying out of the storage unit and like, I don't know, we were like, holy shit, like we didn't really, <laughs> we didn't organise this thing you know, yeah. at all. Um, so when it came to like delivering these 30 second hand beds, it was, it was an absolute shit show, like uh, trying to basically match the mattresses with the bed frames, yeah. with the right legs and it was just, it was a shambles. Um, but we <laughs> we got it we got it done. Um, we we actually ended up buying a, basically a, a Toyota Corolla, nine hundred bucks off off trade me, and we would take because our mate our mate's car was no longer there, mm-hmm. so we bought this cheap car and we'd put the beds on the roof of the car. <laughs> and <it was laughs> we wouldn't even strap them out. We'd like just hand out the window, yeah. hold them, and sort of rock up at the flat. And, you know, take it off and then go back to the unit, pick up another one, and it was real like fucking dodgy boot, bootleg, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was like, I guess the inception of Flatpak, and yeah, we we quickly realised like that model isn't scalable that, as yeah. a business model. Buying secondhand furniture just is not scalable. Yeah, right. Um, there's a lot of issues with quality control and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't bore you with the details, but. Uh, long story short, we started looking at importing product out of China and Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Found a supplier uh, or a couple of suppliers and um, got in a couple of samples. First one was terrible. The second one is the same or similar bed frame that we use today. Um, and then got in a few few mattress samples and basically came or found something that was sort of somewhat suitable to the student market. Mm-hmm. Basically like an affordable bed that's that's a decent, you know, decent quality up to a sort of minimum standard, and um, but I guess affordability is like the key for the student market. Um, so 
yeah, we got got in these samples and then started like scheming. How do we sell this product without having to go and like buy in a container load of mattresses? Yeah, okay. Well, pause you there. So a part of this as well is you guys were in a similar situation as everybody else. Yeah. And you just did everybody a favor, really. Came back that next summer with a bit of pocket money and like, we can do better. This ain't feasible. You looked into flat packs. Is that where the name came from? Flat pack company? <laughs> the name flat pack actually came from. So you're flatting, right? Like yeah. You live okay. in a flat. Yeah, yeah. And we'd provide you a pack for your flat. So it yeah, wasn't. Yeah, okay. The flat pack furniture was like a whole different thing that just so happened to be the same name as this. Like what. Wasn't the intention to call it flat pack because yeah. of flat pack furniture, which is super weird. And so, did you name it flat pack before you like for that summer? Uh, no, it was like literally, it wasn't called anything. It was like, yeah, it was just doing the favor with the bed bros, you know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you and then flat packers and packs for flats, yeah, we were, like we were importing this, flat packs, yeah. At the start, we were like, we we're thinking, okay, mattresses and bed frames, but like, uh, what about like couches and like kitchenware and um, anything that someone needs to go flatting like we would have the whole pack for you yeah that was the idea Um, okay well kind of the idea with the name anyway yeah but we knew we knew we knew the mattresses and bed frames worked like that's what we'd proven yeah 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 that was sort of our what we call an MVP like a minimum viable product Um, we tested the market and the market said yeah we want this you know okay so your game plan. So like you tested the market with that summer period. Is that your testing you're talking yep. about? So how did you do like your market research, looking at suppliers, <laughs> your invest like interest, like how did you know that there's interest, storage location, employees, funding, yeah. like how did you get the funding to start and to begin with, were you even taken seriously? Mm. Um I think a lot of that stuff we skipped. Like, yeah. It didn't didn't exist. We were just a couple of naive eighteen year olds. Yeah. Uh, with this idea and like fuck it let's give it a go so uh, supplies you talk about Singapore and Malaysia Chi- China and Malaysia China and Malaysia um, did you just find these dodgy companies online and be like <laughs> send this one um, do you know Alibaba mm-hmm. yeah so there's like a business version of, of oh sorry AliExpress the business version of AliExpress is Alibaba right um, which kind of connects like anyone in the world with Chinese manufacturing mm-hmm. <clears throat> so after we did the whole second-hand bed thing, we're like, this isn't working. Or, like, it worked, but this... Let's do it I don't know how we can do a thousand yeah. of these. Um, so we spent three months over the course of that summer, actually, while we were sort of buying and selling those second-hand beds. We spent that whole summer, like, trying to find a supplier through mm. Alibaba. Um, and... <laughs> We basically like message uh, different like suppliers and manufacturers and tee up Zoom calls with them. And after like four or five Zoom calls, we're like, "Fuck, bro, this is not working." Eh? Like we were eighteen <laughs> years old, yeah. getting on these Zoom calls with these Chinese manufacturers. Yeah, all prim and, and proper. We were like, "Bro, what? I don't even. Know. We don't even know what we want. You know, like, yeah. like, oh, like we want a mattress. I don't know. Yeah." <laughs> and they were like. They were not taking us seriously, yeah. you know, and the language barrier was a massive issue and we were just, like, fumbling our way through, like, this, I don't know, trying to push it uphill, really. Yeah, yeah. And so we got to the end of that sort of period and we're like, fuck, we've got to, like, find another way, you know, this mm. just isn't really working. Um, 
So long story short, we found um, an outfit up in Auckland mm-hmm. who now act as our sourcing agent. So they deal with uh, China and Malaysia and they essentially pay, place purchase orders on behalf of us and they uh, run a lot, of the, a lot of our logistics as well, international logistics, mm-hmm. so all of the freight forwarding, um, uh, even the devanning. So when a, when a container of, of mattresses or bed frames arrives into the country, it has to be uh, what we call like devanned by mm. an MPI certified facility. Um, so they provide us with that facility, um, basically do all the, the, the non-fun logistics stuff. Yep. Um, and yeah. yeah. So once again, you're 18, naive. Yeah. <laughs> Zoom calls weren't doing your thing. How did you find this company um, that we, does everything for you? Yeah, we just basically started researching the... New Zealand, like New Zealand furniture industry, mm-hmm. um, and just started like toying with different ways we could skin the cat. Basically, like yeah. we weren't so worried about like designing a bed frame or designing mm-hmm. a perfect mattress. It was like we just we know what we need to do. We just need to deliver this product on the same day the student moves in. Yes, the important part is like the service mm-hmm. that, that 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 is. You know, the product wasn't like it's important, but like. We don't. We didn't need to reinvent the wheel with yes, the right. mattress or the bed frame that we were. So, how did these guys take you seriously? So, we jumped on a call with these guys. Um, we, by this point, we'd spent like four months trying to figure this out. Mm. So, I guess we'd like gone through a few hoops now, and um, yeah, jumped on this call and basically said we want to sell two thousand beds to students this year. Um, we're sort of going to do it. We need a supplier. Are you guys like? Are, are you guys our guys? You know, and that was sort of like the foot in the door. Like, the, there's no way we were going to sell two thousand, but that was the foot in the door. You know, um, and yeah, they took the phone call. Um, we ended up flying up to Auckland to meet them. Uh, we went through one of their facilities and was like, "Fuck!" Like, this is these professional. guys. Yeah, these guys can do it for us. Yeah. Um, so we moved on to sampling some products and very much like with their guidance as to what products to sample. Like mm-hmm. we literally had no idea, bro. Like I didn't even know if I'd built a flat pack piece of furniture at that <laughs> point, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, they sort of guided us through the beginning of our journey, which was really, really helpful. Uh, we ended up landing on, on a couple of products and yeah, once we, once we landed on some samples, at this point we paid like, I don't know, a couple of thousand dollars to mm. source these samples, um, which was fine, had to, had to be done. We, so... So that was I mean, one step, like investment. Yeah, one step back yeah. in terms of like investment, how we actually got this thing started. We sold those 30 second hand beds. Yeah. We made, we had like a few thousand bucks. We ended up actually milking cows over that summer as well. Mm. Um, so... Is Gus uh, Gary Farmer as well? Ah, uh, he, yeah, has a, has a rural background. Yeah, yeah okay. not, a, not a dairy farmer as such, but he can milk cows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so we ended up putting 10 grand into an account, mm-hmm. um, and that was sort of what we started with. Some of that money from the secondhand beds, some of it just our personal money from summer. And So your relationship with Gus was pretty fucking tight. Um. Yeah, I mean, we met at first year of university. Yeah, but like to actually put money together and I like do all this, to get, I'm 
18, naive, yeah. you're not going to be contracts or anything, are you? No, there was no contracts. Nothing like that. Yeah, so this is like yeah. well, faith in the I mean, boys, eh? Yeah, it was faith in the boys, yeah. Yeah. 100%. But, I mean, we, so, we, start, together, we started this thing without yeah. putting any money into it. Like, yes, right. We started the whole buying and selling secondhand beds without any financial yeah. investment. Uh, we didn't have any money at that point. It was like, pretty much we sold the beds and then we bought the beds yeah. and then delivered them, you know? So, in terms of cash flow... The customers paid us. Yeah, we then bought the beds with the money that they paid and us. And you with. did it together, yes. Yeah, I we did that, that together. Part, yeah. yeah, so within the ten thousand dollar part. Then off the back of that, like there was maybe like a few thousand bucks from that, and then we each put in another three or four grand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, still kind of fifty fifty. Yeah, yeah, fifty fifty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you're just doing everything together. Yeah. So yeah. that was our our pot of cash to kick things off with. Um. Yeah, so though, so that's that's where that sort of started, and one of the, you know, one of the, the big challenges with with business is often like the financial challenge, like mm. how do you, where does this money come from, like how do you um, go and find this cash to start this business, to like build this team of employees or build a website or mm-hmm. whatever it may be, you know, and from early on, Gus and I basically took the mentality that like we. $10,000 could go very quickly, you know, like mm. um, we pay someone to build a website and that's like a few thousand dollars gone already. So we sort of took the mentality that we're just going to do everything ourselves and we're going to learn everything ourselves and just, just do it. Um, so, yeah, early on that that's sort of how we started skinning the cat and we one of the sayings that we adopted early on was like eating the elephant one bite at a time. You know, like this uh, this idea was small at the start, but now it's like become not just Dunedin, but we want to sell to Christchurch, Wellington, Hamilton, Palmy, Auckland, you know, every university. Um, we want to sell thousands and thousands of beds, but we don't have any, well, we had $10,000, but that's not going to go very far. Mm-hmm. So we started formulating, we started like brainstorming different ways to sell a thousand beds without needing any cash to do that. Typically, how most e-commerce businesses operate is they pay for inventory, mm-hmm. store the inventory, and then when you buy, like even t-shirt, like apparel business, when you buy a t-shirt or a pair of shoes, they ship that pair of shoes to you, but they've been holding on to that stock for maybe a few months, mm-hmm. and they've had to pay for that stock. So they have, you know, in, in our case, if we want to sell, you know, a thousand beds. And go about it the typical way, we would have to hold, you know, maybe four hundred thousand dollars worth of inventory, and that's the thousand beds, you know, four hundred bucks a bed. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, we were eighteen years old, had had no money, um, had yeah. no no idea as to how to get investment really. Mm-hmm. So like, fuck, we'll just do it ourselves. So we schemed up this like business model where. It was like all cash flow positive. So what we basically, we came up with this idea that we would introduce like a price increase. So it would become like a tiered pricing model. The earlier you order, the cheaper your bed is. Yeah, right. And students are so price sensitive, you know, like they have barely any money anyway. Um, so what we did is is we launched like this, we launched launched the, the, the brand, I guess, like made an Instagram and did all the, that sort of stuff. Um, we got this team of ambassadors. So we had one 
ambassador in every hall across the country. Mm-hmm. Well, and we were in Dunedin, Christchurch, Wellington, and Auckland when we first launched. So we had a team of like 30-odd ambassadors. And we basically said to the ambassadors, for every bed you sell, you'll just get a like commission on that mm-hmm. sale. Yeah, it clips the ticket. We can't afford to pay you. Like We don't have any money to, to pay you. Um, so once you sell the bed, then you'll get paid. Yeah. So that was how the business sort of started. Then we introduced this uh, price increase. So on the 1st of October, all the prices were going to go up $100. And what that meant is, you know, students know they're going flatting next year. They yeah. know they're going to need a bed. Um, but they're not thinking about it this early on. But when you have this, like, deadline, just like uh, an assignment, when yeah. you have a deadline, like, you typically get it done right before the deadline. And this sort of price increase worked in the exact same way where, um, you know, leading up to the price increase, we'd sold, like, 20 or 30 bids. Yeah. Like, fuck, this is a, a dud. Like, I don't know if it's going to work. And then the week before this first price increase, this was in, t- in 2018, or 2019, sorry, the week before the first price increase, we started seeing, like, 5, 10, 20 sales a day, 30 sales a day trickling in. Yeah, yeah. We're like, Holy shit. Like, this thing's, like, growing up to the 1st of October. And on the last day, we sold, oh, I can't recall the exact number, but maybe 100 beds in, yeah. one, in one day, which was, like, $50,000 in sales. And we were like, holy shit, you know, the boys are on, the boys are on. Yeah. <laughs> it was, like, at this point, there was, like, a couple hundred thousand dollars sitting in a bank account. And we were like... Yeah. Holy, yeah. Holy fuck, you know. Um, so the idea of the price here <laughs> was so that you'd get money at, before you purchased the beds. Yeah, so we hadn't purchased any product. Yeah, yet. Yeah, we didn't have yeah. the beds. So say the delivery is February next exactly. year. So all and you're going to buy them yeah. at a period. So the price here is to try get investment money because so we didn't have any external investment. The customers yeah. were cash flowing this for us. Yes. Yeah. And then say if you make fifty percent on the bed, then if if you had ten people buying, you can buy twenty beds. Exactly, kind of thing. and then the, the rest of the ten can. Yeah, 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 hundred yeah. percent. So it's it's pretty simple. Like, yeah, that's how uh, many tiers did you have? Two. Yeah. Just so first yeah. of October and first of November. Mm-hmm. So first of October, um, we I can't remember the exact number, but maybe we sold three hundred beds before the first of October. And then another hundred beds before the first of November, and then another sort of couple of hundred in that first year. So, so when did you need to do the order? So on the first of October, the cash came in. We then placed the order on the first of October with um, our supplier. So that was you know, paid paid for in China yeah. and Malaysia. Um, and then there's typically, or back then, there was sort of a, a two to three month manufacturing and freight window. So if the order was placed on the first of October. Their beds arrived like mid December. Yeah. Yeah. So what about the amount that you were to purchase? How did you decide that number? Mm. It was just uh, as much as it was possible. A gamble. Yeah. Yeah. It was a gamble. Yeah. We basically like said, how much could we afford? Yeah. Uh, obviously, we're selling the beds for more than we're buying them for. Yep. You have so, to pay your ambassadors. You have to pay yourself. Yeah. So yeah. we just did like a <laughs> wrote a little forecast and said. That's our number. Yeah. Um, and it was 600 in the first year. Yeah. And we got through them. We sold them all. <laughs> wow. So it was, um, it was, yeah, so we went from these 30 second-hand beds to selling 600 new beds. And I will never forget the, up until the day they arrived, the, the product actually arrived, it's all just like 
numbers on a spreadsheet or numbers on a website and just money in the bank account. But it's not until you see like and visualize what 600 beds actually looks like. It's like holy yeah, shit! It's a that's, that's a lot of fuck. It's a lot of product. That's the frame and the mattress. Eh? The frame. So 600 bed frames, 600 mattresses. So it was literally like three 40 foot containers packed to the absolute brim of of our product, all with the brand, the Flatpak company on it, and we were like, holy shit! Yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, it was honestly the most, um, probably the most surreal feeling yeah. we've had in business so far. So yeah. you got this company up in Auckland that does all the logistics for you, yep. and then they do they actually deliver it to the door? No. So so this is where you see the the crates actually get yeah, delivered. So, and so the containers come into their facility. Um, they then devan the containers yep. and put the products onto pallets. Yep. And then um, we use Main Freight. So Main Freight pick up the pallets, and Main Freight take them to our facilities. Mm-hmm. So we. You know, how I said we have that forty. Yep. They had that forty-foot container yep, in Dunedin, yep. our first year. Um, that container was at a facility called National Storage down in Dunedin, which is like a self-storage facility. And they have you know hundreds of of storage units or hundreds of containers which you can store stuff in. Um, so what we did was we basically bought on like four or five storage units at each at each region. Mm-hmm. Uh, or actually more in Dunedin, more in Dunedin and Christchurch because that was where most of our volume yeah, was, yeah. a few less in Wellington and then a few less in Auckland. And so all of the product comes on pallets. Main Freight delivers it to the facility. Mm-hmm. We have a forklift on site. And the forklift takes the pallets off of the truck and then we have like a team of lads <laughs> who basically grab the products. They're just like flat pack boxes and just start throwing them into these units. And it was... So Gus and I didn't see the products until they were basically palletized mm-hmm. and Main Freight delivered them to our facility. And we didn't really like know, we'd never done this before, we didn't know like how it was going to work. Or yeah, so like how did you organize the facility and the men to throw it in? Um, so just mates from, from uni in each region. So we had, it was just me, it was me and one guy, Nick, in, in Wellington, Gus was down in Dunedin on that first day with a couple of mates from Dunedin. Yeah. And um, basically our supplier was like laying it out for us, like here's what's going to happen. And they'll, the you know, main freight will pick them up from our facility. Um, you know, they'll, they'll come up from Christchurch to, to come to Wellington. They've got to go across the ferry. Mm-hmm. Um, when the trucks get to Wellington, you'll need a forklift to like unload the truck and you'll need a driver. And yeah, we were like, okay, sweet. So... Um, I can speak from like my experience in Wellington. The first truck rocked up, and there's like it's like mm, eight pallets on a truck, mm-hmm. um, and these are like big pallets of yeah. of our of our product. And there's maybe like ten or twelve beds on each pallet. Um, bear in mind, like a mattress and a bed frame, they're quite like large objects. Fuck yeah! Mm. And so the first truck arrived. Um, the Truck driver ended up driving the forklift as well because <laughs> we didn't have a forklift driver. Yeah, I was going to ask It was like either I'm jumping on this forklift or like you're going to drive it. So. so there was a forklift at the storage. We facility. we organised to get one there. Yeah, just didn't have a driver. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a key part, man. Yeah, yeah I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Did you YouTube how to drive one? No, I didn't even drive it. He, the, no, but like prior to, driver. like were you seriously not being like well, fuck? Yeah, I, I took it for a spin before the truck rocked up. Oh In yeah. Case, I was like fuck. I might need to drive this thing. You know. Yeah. Um, but it was just like that, bro. I was like, that's, 
that's how you start business, you know, yeah. it's like you do everything yourself. Well, you, yeah. you have to. Yeah. We probably didn't, in hindsight, we probably didn't um, organise a driver because we couldn't afford one, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but anyway, the first truck rocked up. Um, the guy, like, opened up the curtain slider. Do you know, like, um, curtain slider trucks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, And, like, revealed, like, these eight pallets all with And you just, like, chock a block, you're like, holy fuck. like, fuck, that's our product. Like, yeah. It's unreal. Anyway, he gets on the forklift, starts, like, taking these pallets off the truck and dropping them outside of our storage unit. And he's like, okay, sweet. Uh, next truck will be here shortly. And, bro, it was just truck after truck after truck. And we were like, fuck. There was, like, ended up being maybe, like, 30, 30 or 40 pallets. Maybe yeah. not 40. 30 pallets, I'd say. Good 30 pallets here. Um, and we were just like, we worked like well into the night getting these pallets into our storage unit. Because by then you were um, dis- dismantling. Yeah, we were pulling like, them apart, yeah. putting them in one by one. Yeah, sort of thing. So you take them off of the pallet, which is wrapped yeah, in plastic. Yeah, wrapped. Yeah. Yep. yeah take them off everything's the- a two man lift. Yeah, ah, uh, yeah. We made it a one man lift. Oh, get, fuck, just dragging them around. around. Yeah. Um, and yeah, got them into the units and. I remember that night, like talking to Gus, who was down in Dunedin doing the same thing same that thing, day, yeah. and we were just like, "Holy shit, bro!" Like, <laughs> it just like gave us butterflies. Like, it was like, "Fuck!" Like, there's heaps of stuff here. It's and interesting though because you did a lot of hard work there, right? But when it's for yourself, it's oh, all good. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You have a different. Uh, it's just like a different mentality yeah, with yeah, yourself. Yeah. It's it's not even about the work. It's just you just have to do it. You, you know? just do it. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that was. Um, it was surreal, bro. Was so, unreal. what about going from storage facility to the flats? So, um, we ended up buying a couple of vans, um, and those vans we had one in Dunedin and one in Christchurch, mm-hmm. um, and we employed in every region. We employed just student drivers, um, so they were typically summer school students studying part time, looking mm-hmm. for a bit of part time work. Um, a couple of our mates were like, "Yeah, I'm super keen. Perfect." Um, so they. In Dunedin and Christchurch, they were driving our vans, so we yeah. bought like these cheap little like, like five thousand bucks each little vans. We could fit eight beds in the back of each van, mm-hmm. and in the mornings, the driver would go out to the storage facility, open up these containers, um, load up their van with you know eight beds, and then rip around to uh, the different student flats to deliver them. Mm-hmm. We had like, and you know, we had no idea how to do any of this. It was like. Just we'll just figure it out, sort yeah. of thing. So we were just like <laughs> sending spreadsheets everywhere, trying to like making sure that we'd got all of our customers on the spreadsheet. Yeah. And, um, the customers had requested a specific delivery day, um, and we knew their address, but we didn't know like what time they were arriving, or mm-hmm. didn't have any like any further comms with them. So it was real. There was no systems involved those early days. It was basically like here's a spreadsheet, like. Can you just text every customer and just like organize it with them, sort of thing? Yeah. Um, so yeah, no. Is it right though? Because your no customers you're process. dealing with students as well. Yeah. So yeah. it's not going to mean yeah. as old ladies going to fucking yeah. complain. So I guess naturally, like we're this, we're with this. None of this um, student brand. Yeah. Student customers, so it's all pretty casual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 In those early days, anyway. And then in um, in Wellington and Auckland. Oh, actually, it wasn't Auckland. It was Hamilton in our first year. Mm-hmm. Wellington and Hamilton. We. Again, we didn't have enough money to buy vans in those regions. Mm-hmm. So we're like, we'll just hire, we'll just make sure the guys have their own cars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they're sort of like back seats down. Um, you know, Slip if you can man. fit two or three in there, that's great. If you can only fit one, that's all good, you know. Just get it delivered. Yeah. Um, so we like to hear a few stories of, of some of our earlier customers. Um, 
and the way they speak about like their deliveries, it was like, <laughs> yeah, one of the one of the bros just rocked up and it was like Savari out back and was like, yeah, bro, I got a bid for you, sort of thing. And it was like just super casual, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. no systems, no processes. It was just like, but the product was what it was supposed it was, to be. It was what it was yeah. supposed to be, you know. And it was like customers were like, fuck, this is mean, you know, yeah. like rocked up the same day, my bed's delivered, like I'm all sorted. Yeah. All the other boys or all the other girls are like trying to suss these secondhand beds or like they bought from like. Bed post or yeah. bed us and delivery is going to take two or three weeks, you know? Yeah, and, and your shit turned up on yeah, the day. and... With style. <laughs> yeah, with style, yeah. In the outback, yeah. Um, but customers, like, real early on, customers were like... Word got around about Flatback. And it was yeah. like, fuck, it was super convenient. Yeah. And that's literally what we've doubled down on over the last five years is how can we make our service second to none? Like, there's no other furniture retailer that delivers a better service than we do genuinely um and we've yeah that's what we've doubled down on it's like how do we make this as convenient as possible for, for our customers so before we um elaborate more into where it has become now um were you scared at all of not being able to deliver uh, you talk <laughs> about having a hundred thousand kind of dollars in your bank account you haven't even ordered beds yet. yeah definitely yeah there was um were you sweating yeah there were a few nerves the the nerves were basically like can we? We, we place the first nerve was we placed the order on the first of October, and we had this rough timeline as to when the bids were were going to rock up, mm-hmm. and we promised customers we'll deliver from the fifth of January onwards through to the first of March, which is yeah, a lot of su- well, a lot of summer school students will move back after Christmas mm-hmm. on like like early January, so the first like real bit of pressure we felt was okay the bids are being manufactured in China and Malaysia. Um, the freight's going to take like three to four weeks to get here. What if the beds don't arrive on time? Mm-hmm. You know, like we've never done this before. We're just taking someone's word that they'll be here. Yeah, yeah. And luckily we had no issues that first year. Like they arrived on maybe like the 15th or 20th of December. Um, actually, maybe even later. Um, yeah, but uh, anyway, some sometime in December and it was like, Sweet, like that was all good, you know. Couple of weeks up our sleeves, sort of thing. <laughs> um, we, yeah, we're going to deliver on on what we said we're going to deliver on. Um, that was probably the first one. The second one was like, now we need drivers, you know, reliable drivers, yeah. need vehicles. We don't have any systems around like who's delivering what. So it was pretty and much like, what about like contracts and like, like yeah, contracts for employees and yeah. stuff. So how did you dodge that kind of situation? Or how did you manoeuvre around that? Because um, at first it's pretty like, you want to help, help a bro out kind of thing, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. In business there's no one like checking on you. you know? Yeah, yeah. The yeah, only the only reason someone would come in and check on you is if like shit went wrong and you mm. had to help, um, what, what's the workplace, health and safety? Yeah, right. Whatever. Um, if you had them knocking at your door because someone's flipped their van and, killed themselves or you know it's like do they have a contract but um we didn't have any of that bro like we didn't know anything yeah. couldn't pay for you guys were business students but this, you don't really learn about this kind of shit do nah, you? not at all not at all so yeah. very much learning on the job and like yeah we've made like a lot of mistakes over the years and learned from them and we still make some mistakes today um but early days it was real bootleg no mm-hmm. contracts here's your keys yeah, you know, take the van for a spin, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, here's 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 a list list for the day. Um, make sure you get them all done. Sweet, see ya. 
Yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah. So you've been doing it for five years? Five years now, yeah. Five years. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, since then, like, things are a lot more systemized now and yeah. systematic. And What do you think your biggest learning is from those early stages? Is just fucking give it a go? Yeah, I think if we if we look back to, like, the first year when we did those second-hand bids, we were in the middle of exams. Um, I think very few people would have given that a go and said, like, yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And Gus and I are just lucky to be, I guess, wired that way. Um, we could have easily said no and even waited a year. Like, oh, we'll do it next year when we have a bit more time. Um, if we'd waited a year, like, probably wouldn't have happened. Mm. It wouldn't have happened, like, as quick as it has now. Um, so... One is like step one is definitely giving it a go, but then step two is like when it doesn't work, figuring out why and like being resilient. Mm. Yeah, because resilience, because right. it it didn't work at the start. No, um, those Zoom calls. Well, uh, yeah, the Zoom calls. <laughs> it was like, how are we going to do? It? Like, okay, we've got this idea, but like, we don't have like any product or yeah. don't know how we're going to do it. You know, so the, the resilience in business, especially in the early days, is like so important because there's no game plan laid out for you. It's not like here's the assessment, here's the assignment you need to complete, mm-hmm. here's like how to complete it, um, here's a, a tutor, you know, mm. that will help you complete it. It so was you, like you pretty much didn't it's have a mentor. You. you didn't have a mentor at all? Uh, that's no no like do your mentor. parents? I mean, my parents are yeah, dairy farmers. And They're dairy farmers. Re- re- yeah, reasonably like entrepreneurial within the agriculture industry. Mm. But they were like, uh, like, what do you say to a kid that like wants to sell furniture for a living you know like 2,000 beds yeah it's like <laughs> sorry they can like they can sort of say good luck and like support you but they don't have the game plan for you, mm-hmm. you know? yeah, we yeah. didn't have the game plan either it was just like yeah. got to figure it out you know? and that requires definitely requires a lot of resilience mm. the trying to launch the business in the United States is that like four years five years down the track yeah same business yeah kind of thing okay before we go into that Learning to surf, mm. that's your next key turning point. When did you learn that? Was that in, down south, up down here? In, down in Dunedin. Yeah. Down in Dunners. Yeah. So at this stage, you're still in Dunners, what, second year, second third year? year second, second year. year. Yeah. Your business, you're starting to get a bit stressed out and shit. Yeah, well, this was like really early, early yeah. on in the business. Um, what has uh, surfing provided you, I suppose? Um, Is it that zen? Sense of adventure. Yeah. Yeah. I... It's one of those weird things. Like I was always scared of water as a kid. I like I was. I'd, I'd swim. I'd swim in a pool fine, but like in the ocean, like there's no fucking way I would. I would swim out past like where I could stand up. Yeah. And I just had this like fear of. I don't know. Just like one of those things that's inside you. I don't know. Um. So like learning to surf was pretty out there for for me. Uh, like I was sporty as a kid, mm-hmm. um, but the fear I had like around the ocean and stuff was pretty hard. Um, but I learned to surf because in second year, all of my flatmates surfed and I was like, fuck, I'm just going to be left here at the flat. Like, yeah, yeah. what am I going to do? You know? So nah, fuck that. Um, I'll buy a board and I'll learn and I'll just like get over myself. So yeah, like spent a few days with some mates and then decided to buy a board and just like fully fell in love with the day. Like just Frothed it from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, everyone goes, do you, do you surf? Nah, that's one of my questions. Can you teach me? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. It's um, 
it's actually like really hard as a well, I was like nineteen at the time, but mm. like most kids that surf learn to surf when they're five years old or yeah, right. out of the womb, you know. Um, trying to learn when you're older, I guess older and like larger and less flexible, you know, yeah. it's like, it's actually really hard. Yeah. Um. So I spent like six months eating shit, um, trying to learn. Yeah. In Dunedin as well, where it's cold and the waves are big, like it's it's got pretty good surf. Um. So yeah, I ate shit for six months, but just like learned to love it. And um, yeah, I've been surfing for like five or six years now, and I think what it gives me is the the sense of adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like uh, my version of meditation as well. In a yeah, way. I was going to say, is it, does it provide you the freedom to just switch off? Yeah, a lot of people um, I talk about surfing as like uh, their way to meditate if, mm. they, if they if they don't meditate, you know, uh, whatever that means to them. I, I don't know, but oh, to me, I think of it as active meditation yeah yeah it's kind of like no you you're out in the ocean no one's there to distract you you're not on yeah, your phone yeah, you know disconnected got, exactly mm-hmm. no one can come and like interrupt you um and you don't really get mm-hmm. that anywhere else or you don't get that that often you know anywhere else and yeah i know. think it's like fishing and hunting yeah but a bit of golf as well i find that yeah. if you put your phone on do not disturb yeah yeah 100 percent out there with your mates Switching yeah, off exactly. You don't have cars, boats going. Oh, you shouldn't yeah. really have boats, but you don't have cars <laughs> going past you and shit like that. Eh? Yeah. So, I love it. I eh? love it. And yes, I'll, t- I'll teach you to surf. Really? <laughs> I need. To. I think Theo's just bought a board too. Did he? Yeah. Oh, well, was, he's he actually mentioned this morning or yesterday morning. He's got like three boards, so oh. he might even have one for you. Fucking beauty. <laughs> Crossfit right there, right? Yeah. Hook up community, bro. Yeah, community. Yeah. I suppose that's huge. Yeah. Um. So, trying to launch the business in the United States. So, paint the picture. Kind of, you're a few years in. What are you guys providing? Um, your systems are obviously in place. So, you paint the picture on where you're at and what the idea was on America. We were four years into the business mm-hmm. um, here in New Zealand. The student market for us. Had grown to like sixteen hundred beds mm-hmm. um, at that point, so it was like getting reasonably like big. Um, that was up from six hundred that first year, uh, but our prices had significantly increased. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of like sales revenue, we're at maybe one point four million, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, so, like at that point, we were. An established small business, yeah, right. Not just a couple of students like selling beds yeah. over the summer, uh, which was which was pretty cool. So you got an HR department now? <laughs> no HR department. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that big. Um, you're looking at it. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we hired our first full time employee back in 2021, and then hired our second full time employee, and we basically got to the point where we we're like. We're reasonably well set up in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, the market's really small here. How can we? How do we like just take on a bigger market? Mm-hmm. Um, so we floated the idea of Australia, and we were working with this guy Joe Franklin, who's a consultant and, and a good mate. Um, and he was sort of like we could explore America, you know. 
Um, there's massive college towns over there. Mm. I very much like the likes of Dunedin, you know, where you've got like the, the college atmosphere, um, a lot of culture. Um, so we're like, fuck it. Let's fly over to the States and, and see what it's like. Shoot for the moon. Shoot for the moon, yeah. So before we flew, we basically like built a financial model, mm-hmm. um, a lot of spreadsheeting. Yeah, yeah. And tried to find tried to find universities which had similarities to Dunedin, which is our best performing market here in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. What it came down to was what we put it down to was a lot of students travel from like say from the North Island down to Dunedin, yeah. from Auckland to Dunedin. They're away from mum and dad, um, trying to find furniture when you're away from home, away from family, becomes difficult. Um, so we tried to find universities similar to Dunedin or Otago University, and we landed on uh, <laughs> Kansas City, of all places, which Why? is smack bang in the middle of the US. Uh, there were four universities, uh, four big universities uh, within sort of mm-hmm. two hours of Kansas City. So it's like quite a, a hub. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of those universities had high out-of-state um, tuition. Yeah, like, right. Uh, yeah. Sorry, out-of-state. like uh, Attendance kind of thing. Yep, yeah, yeah attendance. Yeah. yeah, like the number of students from yes. out-of-state was, yeah. was was higher than, than elsewhere. Um, plus the competition in the Midwest from a business perspective is much lower than on the coasts, yeah. like on the east coast, you've got you know likes of New York and um, highly or densely populated areas and a lot of competition. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the Midwest, there's I don't know, just naturally less competition. It's a smaller market. So Gus and I bought a couple of tickets to Kansas City, and this was this was last year in uh, October. Yeah, October last year. Mm-hmm. Um, to fly over there and do some research and try and figure it out. So the game plan at this point was research, yep. figure out if it's feasible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we actually, before we flew, we spent like two to four weeks um, DMing uh, Instagram accounts of students that were in Kansas City. Yeah, right. We came across these. So in, in the U.S., um, a lot of students live in fraternities and sororities, mm. which you've probably seen on the movies. They're like, they're kind of like um, massive flats. Mm. Uh, you know, sixty to a hundred people living in one big house, like big old mansions and that That's sort of thing. Fuck, yeah, it's crazy, right? It's crazy. It's just like the movies, which is funny. Um, so, what we found is like they had these Instagram pages for their fraternities and sororities, yeah. and all of the students were like tagged in the photos that, that were on the Instagram pages. So what we did is basically just went through and bulk messaged heaps of students saying, hey, we're, um, we're from New Zealand looking to come and study at Kansas State University, let's say. Um, what's it like over there? <laughs> and um, we gave like a bit more info. We're not like, it's this, this weirdo messaging you, you know, yeah, like yeah, we're yeah. actually like, we're looking at coming to Kansas State to study. Um we didn't want to allude to like the the business or yeah. anything. Uh, we just wanted to be like a wanted that to be an organic conversation about what the university's like. Um, and we actually we actually did this. Um, so you did this with your private accounts, yeah, like your yeah. personal, yeah, account, yeah, sorry, just yeah. like my personal Instagram yeah. account. Um, and we actually did that across not just Kansas City but um, quite a few different states, which we felt might be feasible. Mm-hmm. 
And off the back of that research, we landed on Kansas City as being like the place which we felt there were a few universities which were quite similar to the likes of Dunedin and Christchurch, where, which were markets that work really well yeah, for us. Yeah. Um, Did you not want to just make up a ghost account? Oh, I, it didn't matter, bro. Like, yeah. Yeah. doesn't matter. I don't even use my Instagram account anymore, so, yeah. so we're good. Um, anyway, we ended up having a few really good conversations with, mm. with these students and even jumped on a few video calls and like um, it would spend like half an hour talking about the university and trying to understand the culture and we'd like drop in, oh, like should we go into a house or should we live in the fraternity or sorority? Oh, if we're going to live in a house, like where do we buy furniture from? And like tried to like open up that conversation yeah. and um, realised that like there's actually like a, a massive um, – Sort of not not so much a problem over there, but a lot of students struggle with this the idea of, of buying furniture. Mm-hmm. They've got iCare and stuff, um, and like Amazon, but uh, because furniture is like big and bulky items, they're like overnight shipping or like same day delivery just doesn't work yeah. as effectively for those larger items, yeah, especially yeah. in the Midwest. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, long story short, I'll cut it short, but we flew to. Kansas City, we landed at <laughs> 12 or midnight, um, we had accommodation two hours away from the airport, mm-hmm. but didn't have a plan on, on how to get there, um, we arrived and we didn't know what Kansas City was going to be like, um, we arrived into this airport and it was dead, like there was no one around, we were like fuck, like where are we sort of thing? Yeah. Um, there was one like car rental place still open and they managed to like um, get a car for us and we sort of walked out into the car park and we'd got this like tiny little like two door it's called a Chevrolet Spark yeah. it's like the smallest car you can imagine in a place which is predominantly like huge utes like yeah. Ford F-150s driving down the road and like <laughs> these massive vehicles and we're in this tiny little shitbox yeah. and we drove two hours to this <laughs> two hours to this place called Manhattan in Kansas, yeah. not Manhattan, New York. Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, it's got a population of like a hundred thousand people. Most of that population is made up of students at the university yeah. there, which is Kansas State University. And we arrived to our accommodation at like two AM in the morning, um, driving through the streets of Manhattan, which is like an absolute ghost town. Like yeah. there's nothing there. Um, there's there's nothing around Kansas City either. There's a city, and then there's basically flat farmland. Yeah. Um, they grow a lot of like corn and wheat, mm. um, but there's no like animals or like you know driving around New Zealand you see cows and sheep yeah. and you know there's nothing. It was like fuck, like it was like we we're on like a um fuck like a game map, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like World of Warfare, like fucking yeah, yeah, on Rust or something, you know? <laughs> Like fuck, what are we doing? Anyway, we like Holy we didn't shit. we didn't know anyone, bro. We didn't know anyone. Um, had no idea what what we were doing. We we're just like making it up as we were going, sort of thing. Like yeah, we I knew, thought you guys would have had a better plan. Yeah, we didn't have like we. Uh, you know, I don't like how do you plan for that though? You know, like you're going into a brand mm. new country. Like you're there to do research, trying to understand like how this market functions and whether what we're trying to sell has legs, you know. Um, but we knew no one. It was like pretty much we woke up the next morning and went, sweet, like, now what, you know? 
Um, so yeah, we just like went exploring through the university, um, just started like engaging with students and um, basically talking about like their living situations and um, if they had if they were living in a, in a house or an apartment. Like, how did you sort your furniture? Was it furnished? Was it unfurnished? And long story short, we spent six weeks doing that across a few different universities, mm. um, and decided, yeah, this thing like has legs. Yeah, um, we feel like we we could actually do this. Yeah, uh, we could launch a business here. Um, At so, this point, did you think about like the laws or the laws, the sewing and shit like that? <coughs> um, we were yeah really aware of of because that bit sewing. would scare the fuck out of me. It's it's crazy right over there. I think the stat is. There's like 50 million, 50 million people are sued every year in the United States, which is one in eight of the population or something. Yeah, so fucked. one in every eight people get sued every year. Um, so yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. And yeah. over there, they've got um, these huge billboards like all over the highways, and most of the billboards are, or in Kansas City anyway, there was this this. It's a law firm called Jungle Law, and it was like these lawyers on these billboards basically saying like, "Have you know, have you been mistreated at work or like, yeah, have you, if this happened to you, call me now, you know, and here's my number." And it was like, "Holy shit! Like this is so different to New Zealand." Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we had legs. Yeah, so we had we had legs. Uh, idea was feasible. Yeah, idea was feasible. Flew back to New Zealand. Oh, we actually we ended up. Um, like onboarding uh, one like student representative at each university, basically as our like point of contact for when we were home. So we flew back home um, six weeks after we landed in, in, in the US um, and spent the summer working on the business here in New Zealand. And then um, Maddie and Renee, who Renee's my partner, Maddie's Gus's partner, um, they started working for the business as well. So we were all of a sudden a, a team of six, which was cool. And then the four of us, so Gus, Renee, Maddie, and I flew over to Kansas City um, and sort of like officially moved to Kansas City. We sold everything here, mm-hmm. sold our cars, um, and tried to basically launch the business in Kansas City. We spent two months on ground um, running digital advertising, doing uh, like physical display days, so we'd bring the products onto campus at the universities. Um, we had like ambassadors at each university, basically doing everything we do here over there. Yeah, and um, just like didn't get off the ground. Eh? It was, um, so d- before you started here, you had a little test run. Then you found a person in Auckland who was able to do all your ordering and uh, shipment and stuff like that. Yep. Did you have that kind of logistical point of contact over in America, or were, so you, during, were you trying to do it yeah, order before? Uh, we so during our actually during our first research trip when we decided okay like we're gonna this do is, this yeah we flew down to Texas mm-hmm. um, Houston yeah in Texas oh fuck. Houston yeah Houston Texas um, and met up with a potential supplier mm-hmm. and similar to the situation here like similar um, yeah so you had that point of contact yeah they'd bring supplier. Out, yeah hundreds yeah. or thousands of containers every year yeah um out of asia um so teed up that contact and um got samples or saw samples actually um when we went and saw them and said yep sweet we'll um 
get a couple of those, did like photo shoots. So your foundation and stuff was set. Yeah. Yeah, the supply chain was set. Yeah. Yeah, it was just about like marketing, effectively marketing the product and actually selling stuff. So why do you think it didn't work? Um, the, The noise in America, like the... Everything is really big and loud. Have you been to America? No. Everything is like really big, loud, in your face. Um, so long story short, to cut through that noise in a marketplace is really hard and costly. Um, like it costs but you're there in person, one-on-one with all these students. Mm-hmm. That is your marketing, isn't it? You don't have to have these big fancy billboards. No. Uh, no if you're connecting one-on-one, mm. people are seeing you. Mm-hmm. How come that didn't work? Um, I'd say a couple of reasons. One, we were four Kiwis, Kiwis mm. in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Some of these people have never left America. Mm-hmm. Most of these students have never left America. They alone met someone from New Zealand. And every time we speak, they're like, what? Where are you from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, we actually, like, we're really contemplating whether we would even ever speak to students because that would just become a massive issue. Like, yes. you just feel like this this brand from this other side of the world that's trying to launch here in the US and like, yeah. who, who even are you, you know? Um, like, that's the opposite of pro-America, which is, like, mm. what the Midwest is built on. Yeah, okay. Um, so that was like a massive challenge. Um, and just like the general idea of, of trying to get people rallied up to purchase four months before they moved into their house was um, proved to be really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so we spent two months basically like pushing shit uphill, trying to work this thing out. Um, and after two months, we chewed through 100 odd grand and thought, Fuck, like, this is... This is hard. Mm. Uh, we're not really enjoying living in Kansas City. Like, it's not a desirable place to be. It's nothing like New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally like, love adventure, love surfing. That's the furthest I've been from the ocean in my entire life. Like, literally like a three-hour flight from the nearest ocean. Flight. <laughs> yeah. And and Kansas is like, they don't really have like lakes or anything. And there's something about water, bro. Like, it sounds weird, but there's something about like seeing water or yeah. being around water. Which like feels like home. Mm-hmm. They like don't even have that. So <laughs> what was the point that you were just like, now nah, let's so, pull the pin? Yeah, we had pretty much like one week to go before the price increase, um, and we'd sold one bed at that point, and we all sat down and went like, even if this works, do you guys want to stay here? If this thing took off, do you guys actually want to be here? And as a as a four, we decided, nah, <laughs> mm-hmm. we actually don't. We don't enjoy living in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Why would we sacrifice the next few years living in a place which we desi- like don't desire to be in? Um, and chance that like a business might take off, you know. So that was like a massive turning point for Gus and I. Realizing that growing a big business is not actually what we want. We're not yeah. willing to forego our lifestyle to do that. What um, do you guys want? <laughs> uh, freedom. Like, what is your why? 
Why do you do what you do? At first, it sounds like I was mm. get a bit of money. And it's like, fuck you, this is a good idea. At the start, it was like... Be our own boss. Yeah. At, at the start, it was basically the, the f- like financial opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the freedom that comes with owning your own business. Mm. But at the, I mean, for the first like three or four years, it's like me and Gus just like chipping away and doing everything, you know, and there's the opposite of financial freedom for the first, for the start of any business. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you're pretty much all in and like if you're not showing up, then... There's a lot the of sacrifices. All over, yeah. Um, Why do you do what you do? I do what I do now because I love working with this team. Mm-hmm. Um, I get I get a lot of pleasure out of like learning to manage people now. Mm-hmm. Um, I do it because. That, I guess the financial incentive is, is still there. Mm-hmm. Um, to be totally honest, like the business is financially sustaining itself now, and providing Gus and I a, you know, a decent income, um, and it gets to a point where it's like the business keeps making money, but it doesn't throw any more happiness your way. You know, it's yeah. like it's so you kind of got to a point of what's next, and what's next was expansion. Uh, Shooting, yeah. f- shooting for the moon. Yeah, shooting for the moon. That was that was before we sort of understood that lifestyle yeah, was actually yeah. really important to yeah, us. Yeah, so before you found kind of so val- values. If we had this conversation a year ago, I'd probably sound quite a lot different. I'd be like, yeah. let's fucking go, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. We want to build this thing into a yeah, $100 million business. Let's, let's do it. And off the back of that experience, it was all of a sudden became like, actually, I want to prioritize like my mental health. I want to mm-hmm. prioritize my happiness. I want to prioritize going surfing and playing golf and mm-hmm. hanging out with mates and my physical health and being in a place which offers adventure and, you know. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> so what is your biggest kind of learnings from that America kind of stint? Um, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and that but, uh, but to reflected on what values you actually yeah, hold dear I, I to think you. The, yeah, our, my, my biggest... Our biggest learnings were the whole lifestyle thing. Like, we're not willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. all of our lifestyle to grow or for, for financial gain, really. We prioritize, we want to prioritize <clears throat> our lifestyle over over just financial gain. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's trying to find balance. Like, if you want to have a multi million. $100 million business, you're not going to have balance. Mm. That's just a fact. But if you value balance in your life, you're going to have to take the foot off something. Yeah. Yeah, something like there's always compromise. Yeah, exactly. Like we just mentioned sacrifices. There's a lot of sacrifices to get to a $100 million business. Mm. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah, like, fuck, it's, it's amazing how you can do like a, in a way, a, a 180 and be like, this ain't this ain't me. Like I think, bro. I think um, it's part of growth. Most most people forget probably figure that out like later on. Mm. Um, I don't want to sound like condescending at all, but um, you know, like people have midlife crises, and like a lot of entrepreneurs go hard and harder and harder and harder and and grow this massive business, and then like oh, mm. I can look at myself in the mirror. I'm like 
terribly unhappy. Like I fucking hate myself. I yeah. hate what I do. Like I don't actually enjoy like all of the stress that I've uh, created for myself. Mm. Um, so I think, <clears throat> yeah. It's yeah, understanding when to pull out of things. Like just imagine uh, just you invest in just say sheezies, right? You put $1,000 in sheezies. It's up to $1,500. It is a bit of money, but it's like, well, it's not doing anything. Do you pull it out and use that money now mm. for now and like enjoy your life a yeah. little bit more or do you just leave it in there? Mm. So it's like, at what point do you pull back? And yeah, I think you've, <clears throat> you've learned to pull back a little bit on that one side to get more fulfillment in life. Yeah. Sure. And li- live in the now as opposed to... What could be. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and... Nothing's guaranteed, and nothing's guaranteed. Yeah, know? like yeah, all of this, sure. all of this hard work and sacrifice may lead to nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One thing that, um, one thing that I'm really conscious of now that we're, we're Gus and I are in an extremely fortunate position now financially, and um, we kind of have the we have a lot of freedom now, which is great, and we choose to be here, which is really cool, um, and be part of the team and and continue growing Flatpak which is turning into a really really cool brand Mm -hmm. um, which we love being a part of Um, but one thing I'm really conscious of is I would hate to look back in five years on today and go I sacrificed like too much for this you know this financial gain that I have Mm -hmm. now but I can't get those years back like recently like I've recently I decided not to go um over to Australia with Renee um my partner who ran in the Sydney marathon mm-hmm. she just did the half marathon um but she went over stay with some of our best mates and I decided not to go <clears throat> and I wish I went and I s- sort of realized like I I decided not to go um just uh, to save a bit of money you know um, and I don't want that to happen again. <laughs> um, my brother and sister recently went over to South America as well, um, on a surf trip, and I also decided not to go to that. And I should have gone to at least one of those things. Yeah. And I don't want to look back in five years and go look at all the things that I could have done. Yeah, missed opportunities. Yeah, yeah. so. There's, oh, someone said it. Uh, I can envision his face in my head, but I can't remember. But he talks about um, no money can buy, like, your usefulness. Mm. Um, He'll spend every dollar he could to get back into his 20s because he's someone who's just driven, 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 like you say, and just missed all these opportunities and got to the other end and was like, fuck, Mm. I didn't even live my life. Yeah. Fuck, that's amazing shit, man. Were there any dark days during that period? In Kansas? Yeah. Growing the business in Kansas? Yeah, in Kansas. Um, yeah. <laughs> just yep. missing home, being what the fuck. Yeah, Money's right. just yeah. flying out of your bank account. Yeah, it was... Um, yeah, it was hard. How was did really you deal hard. with that? Um, Is that just communication with each other? We, yeah, we were, I guess, fortunate that all four of us were over there. Mm-hmm. Um. So we had, I had Renee, Gus had Maddie. Um, but 
one of the challenges was like the, the girls like didn't really want to be there, you know. Mm-hmm. Like Gus and I didn't, didn't want to be there, but you can imagine how the girls were feeling like they've just left Mount Maunganui or left yeah. New Zealand to go to this place. They they don't even own they don't own this business, you know. It's like they're just supporting us. So um, I take my hat off to the fact that they did that for us and were willing to to move and you know drop their lives and drop everything they had going on for them here um, to be over there with us and support us. And I'll yeah I'll never forget that. Um, but yeah, that was that was really hard. Like seeing them over there, you know, really not enjoying life. Yeah, yeah. Um, you kind of take that on your shoulders, though. Eh? Yeah, yeah. It was yeah, bro. It was <laughs> it was really hard. What's some advice for a young entrepreneurial kind of mindset person that's wanting to start a business? Um. You just you really just have to start, and the excuse of not having any money to start is not a good enough excuse. Uh, if you're truly entrepreneurial, you'll figure out a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, needing needing money is like it's just a, a support excuse. Yeah, not not having money to start something is is just yeah. Um, you can do it without any cash. We did it. Uh, before I touch on your last tinning point, what does Flatpak Company provide today? So more than just beds and mattresses, though. Yeah. So um, do they provide the pack now? <laughs> the utensils <laughs> that's never coming to fruition. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. It's like, more yeah. Flatpak uh, furniture, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So the business is sort of has now two branches: the student, student yep. market. Um, so predominantly, we still sell mattresses and bed frames in the student market. Um, that's yeah, grown every year for the last five years. We'll do two and a half thousand beds this year, which is really cool. Um, and then two years ago, we sort of branched out to what we call the graduate mm-hmm. market or the everyday Kiwi market. Um, the reason we branched out is we had students who were graduating who bought from us in their first year of university who were moving, say, from Dunedin back up to Auckland. Mm-hmm. Um, they couldn't take their bed with them. Uh, or it was going to cost too much to get it back home, but they wanted another flatback bed. Um, so like, fuck, like we've got this like market here who are ready to buy again. Mm. Um, so yeah, we started like holding inventory, like regular e-commerce businesses, um, and that's now yeah built up over the last sort of two two and a half years. So were your bids never available to the general public? Not before two years ago. No. Oh, fuck. just yeah. It was just, just purely, purely student, yeah, which was kind of like exclusive in its own way. You yeah, know? yeah. Cool. Okay, yeah, Karen. Yeah, so um, that's the other half of the business, and we yeah. sell mostly mattresses and bed frames in that market. But we have bedside tables, drawers, like console units. Uh, we did sell like bedding and sheets for a while, um, just for another supplier. But we've sort of, well, they're still available, but we don't really push that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but that has actually grown. Yeah, relatively quickly in the last two years, and it's it's not quite the size of the student market, um, but it's getting there, and yeah, yeah. that's that sort of allowed us to or remove the seasonality from the business because we're selling mattresses and bed frames like all th- all day yeah, every day, all, you know. Yeah, uh, whereas the student market is like around goes through summer. peaks and troughs. Yeah, it's extremely seasonal. Um, so yeah, that's that's flat pack to that's flat pack today. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
team team of six here in the mount. Uh, Renee and Maddie still work for the business. They've seen seen <laughs> us through that Kansas City journey, and um, yeah, so so they're working with the business. We've got um, Kirsty and Stevo as well, yeah. um, and then Gus and I, so six of us, and yeah, here in uh, Mount Monganui. Um just loving life, bro. Your last turning point, starting CrossFit. Mm. Was that here at the Mount? It was actually in Kansas City. Oh yeah. 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 That was probably yeah, that was one of the one of the positives out of Kansas City. Okay, why? So Maddie, who's Gus's girlfriend, yeah. she she's been crossfitting for like two or three years. Started okay. down in Dunedin. And when we went to Kansas City she was like, Alright, my one negotiable non negotiable is I, I must do CrossFit. Like, yeah. I've got to do CrossFit. I love it so much. Like, and so we were like, "Oh, Gus had sort of just started getting into it with her here in New Zealand." Yeah, yeah. And me and Renee like, "Yeah, like, can you give it a go?" Well, yeah, we can all just go to the same gym. So we went to this gym. It was called CrossFit Matters, and um, yeah, like learned how to learn. Started yeah. doing yeah, CrossFit yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in, in Kansas City, and I've like. Over the years, I've been like in and out of the gym. Like I haven't I was gonna gone consistently you, like, what for, was, for. What is your relationship with like with fitness? Yeah, I, I've always been um, into sport and stuff, but I've never like persistently gone to mm-hmm. the gym for more than like a six or nine month period. Um, <clears throat> like started surfing and like just did a lot more surfing yeah, yeah. Than, than being in the gym. <laughs> um, but started CrossFit, bro, and like I think my just like inner competitiveness came out eh? and just like fell in love with it and like how challenging it was and every it's day was good, every eh? day is so different um, and just like loved it like, yeah. I remember rocking up and I think one of the first exercises we did was a wall walk you know a wall walk like um, uh, up, yeah, yeah so yeah. lying down and your feet yeah. go up backwards yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah I like I did one and I was like holy shit like I couldn't do a second one yeah. eh? it was like Shoulders, done. yeah, shoulders are gone. <laughs> and I remember the first time trying an overhead squat. Oh, uh, yeah, mobility's shit. Bro, like I just like couldn't. I was doing it with like just a a broomstick. Yeah. And as soon as I like started squatting, I would just like you go forward, fall eh? forward. I think <laughs> so, that's what I love about it as well because like you go to the gym and you just do the same exercises mm. week in week out. Like Why yeah, I'd, I'd love to do an overhead squat, but yeah. I don't do it at the gym because I don't know how or I can't do it. You yeah. go to CrossFit, you get forced to do it. Yeah, you get forced yeah. to do a wall. Hundred percent. Yeah. You get forced to do handstand yeah. fucking shit. Yeah. Like I like when the small periods which I did go to the gym, like I would never train legs. Eh? Like, oh, one of those guys. And um Oh, that's why you can't. I remember going to CrossFit and I was like, <laughs> Holy fuck, like we're doing legs every day. What <laughs> yeah. is this? Um. Yeah. Yeah. If like I ran um like my ultra the other week and then turned up to the gym on the Monday, so the ultra Saturday Monday, I was like, yeah, it'll be a nice. Like they had fucking squats. Uh, Tuesday because it was like because I pay for three days, so I was like, I need to do three days. Yeah. I was in Hamilton Tuesday Friday, so I was like, right. okay, fuck Monday Tuesday Wednesday. Turned up Tuesday as well. Legs like as a leg workout. True. And then Wednesday was lunges. Yeah. And it was like, what right. the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Smash the legs. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Yeah. No, nah, it's um, fucking awesome, man. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so good, bro. I think um the thing I love about it is just like the the community and you know, when you're going to the gym by yourself, it's like you put your headphones on and mm. you don't even speak to anyone and there's like this ego eagerness about the gym, you know? Like everyone's like oh, fucking 
get the fucking muscles out, you know? Yeah. Whereas in yeah. CrossFit, it's like so humbling. And um, well, there still is to get the muscles out. Oh, yeah. Well, well, <laughs> it's off, still, shit's off, hasn't even started. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. One, one just, day I'll do that. The, yeah, I haven't, I haven't quite graduated to that either. Yeah. No. Maybe we could, we could do that together. We'll work on it. Um, but it's like at the gym, you got the dudes that wear the sweatshirts, take the sweatshirts off, and you've got a t-shirt, and then they take the t-shirt off, and they've got a singlet on. It's like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, yeah. I don't get it, man. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, love it, bro. Love it. Love the community as well. I've, yeah. I've slowly been tapping into it, which is pretty cool. Mm. It's good being in a big gym as well. Like, yeah. There's a lot of people. Yeah. Um, For sure. Just even looking at the nationals, we had six teams. Six teams of six. Mm. That's 36 36 athletes going to the nationals and the teams. It's like the last gym I was at, I don't even know if there's 36 consistent members, you know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. But on that, it's just a random question. How do you make friends as an an adult? (laughs) Um, CrossFit has really helped. Yeah. Yeah. I I assume you'd agree with me here. Like, it can be really hard. Yeah. To, like, put yourself in social situations. Mm. Beyond like going out and getting on the piss, which I'm not like I'm not grow really out of about that. anymore. Yeah, um, that's a great way to meet people, you know, but it's not very sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say most of my like recent friends have come from the gym. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's basically to try find something that you love that many people do. Yeah. I'd say, yeah. Where you can interact. Like, if you play sport, that's fucking awesome. Mm. But if you don't play sport, it's so hard, eh? Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah, I'd say I'd say the gym, um, play a bit of golf. So, mm-hmm. so you meet new people here and there on the golf course. Yeah, um, you need to get out with you, mate. Yeah, for sure. Also, I'd say business, like, um, yeah, we meet, we meet quite a few people that are uh, Entrepreneurs, or what do you have like entrepreneurial club or something? We, we actually don't, no, we don't. <laughs> um, but you, you just network with those naturally, like network with those people, yeah, okay. Um, so and that's like another common interest, you know. Yeah. Um, it's built around common yeah. interests, so 100%. Yep, yep. Any uh, anything else you'd like to add before we wrap it up? Any advice or any stories or learnings? You guys have come a long I could way. Throw it, yeah. uh, we have, yeah, yeah. I could throw it back on you and and ask like, who are the most interesting people that you interview or, or podcast with? What do you? Who are the people that you sort of really get the most out of and really enjoy um, talking to? That's a fucking good question. Um, I quite like the intellectual stimulation. So even talking to you about your journey, it's pretty interesting. But that last bit about your learnings from the America stint, mm. when you kind of have to think a bit more, that that's the like golden nuggets that I enjoy. Um, I like talking to the people who motivate me, like with their mindset. Um, I've like just give it a go, you know. Um, Oh, I love to learn. So this is where a lot of it's come from. So even the conversations with uh, my female friends who have been having babies and shit like that is so interesting. <laughs> the more knowledge I have, the better for eventually, mm. For I'm not going to have a baby, but whatever. <laughs> so even things like that, 
Um, uh, it's hard. It's hard to determine. Really, it's just the people that because you talk to people something that they're passionate about. It could be anything. It could be shoveling shit up a hill. And if they're passionate about it, you get captivated. Mm. So as long as you get someone talking about something that they're passionate about, it's fucking awesome. And most of the guests, when you talk about their life, they're passionate about something in their life. Mm. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, for sure. I've covered an it puts array. It in, a, in, a, in a category. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've covered a, a, an array of different people, different categories from physical abuse, mental abuse on themselves, I suppose, suicides, um, yeah, pregnancies, abortions, miscarriages, div- maybe, yep, divorce, breakups, businesses, startups, CrossFit, yoga, fundraising events. Fuck this heaps, man. Mm. I don't know, it's just, it's just, everybody's different, man. That's the thing, like, you can't be like, oh, that episode was great, that episode was shit, I'm not going to listen to it anymore, because everybody's going to be different to yeah. whoever the fuck you've listened to before. 100%, 100%. Maybe one thing, actually, I will add and, like, open up on is, I've, like, been fortunate that um had a great family, mm-hmm. um, mum and dad are still together, get along really well with my siblings, Um, great bunch of friends, I've got Renee, who we've been together for seven years. Um, so Fuck, like, where's the ring coming, <laughs> bro? <laughs> You'll have to ask her. <laughs> <laughs> um, life's, like, pretty good, you know? Mm. I haven't, haven't had... You haven't faced much adversity. Nah, nah. And I'm fortunate. Um, but recently, we had one of our family friends passed away. I've never been to a funeral until last week. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and... Um, his name was Simon and one of mum and dad's really good mates I had cancer like got cancer maybe a year and a half ago mm-hmm. and it sort of naturally deteriorated and then passed away um, and so we went down uh, last weekend and spent like a weekend with the family and just sort of hanging out at their place and watched the rugby mm-hmm. watched the quarterfinal against Ireland Ireland which yeah, was their fucking which was epic. Game, yeah. yeah yeah that was like to get the spirits back up, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then went went to the funeral on on Tuesday, and my dad spoke at the funeral, and Mum like warned me going into the funeral, oh, chuck a handkerchief in your pocket, you know. Mm. I was like, I'll be right, you know. So like, I got in there, and I like just couldn't stop crying. Out. <laughs> like, I've never felt mm. um, like and seen and being amongst like so much sadness, mm. and it was really hard. Yeah, that was like difficult and. Interesting to go through. It's interesting when you see your father cry as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Just my papa passed away a few months ago now, and oh really? Yeah, my dad's dead. And gotcha. The worst part is seeing yeah. your old man in sadness. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. No one's bulletproof, eh? Nah. Nah, it's so true. Yeah. But then it's like, how do you get through that? It's like you you embrace that emotion, eh? Yeah, yeah. I you kind of let it do its process and move on. Yeah, I think that, like, is probably an important part of the process. Mm. Like, Not just like, bottling it yeah. up. Yeah, the grieving. Mm. Yeah. What is some advice for your younger self? Um, just, like, have the balls to give anything a go. <laughs> yeah. Back yourself. Um, 
it literally doesn't matter what anyone else thinks because if you think they're thinking something but they don't actually give a fuck they're thinking about themselves you know Um, so like realising that and um, yeah just like just going for it just pick up your nuts Mm. what would you like to hear from your older self um Stumped you. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I would like my older self to to tell me that I, I've travelled and seen the world over the next few years and um, I don't know, started a family and are in doing everything that I can to like create the best and most happy and enjoyable life for myself and for Renee and for hopefully our family one day. Um, I hope that I have like really close connections with my inner circle and for other friends and family and um, I hope I can squat 150. (laughs) (laughs) one day one day (laughs) one day you'll get there Um, what does the next chapter look like for you Um, we're doing a lot of travel over the next few years which I'm super excited about we're going to go to Sri Lanka Sri Lanka Vietnam Bali and Tanzania next year Um, also going to Bali next month which is cool when are Um, you going next year uh, we'll be flying out around the 15th of May back mid-July so away for a couple of months. Um, Business-wise? Yeah, keep growing the business. Um, we've got ambitions to to continue growing mm-hmm. at a sustainable rate without foregoing a great lifestyle as well. Um, becoming a, a better manager, a better communicator. Um, becoming like more motivating mm-hmm. I'm, I'm motivated but more motivating for other people mm-hmm. for the team and um, even for like friends and family uh, that's something that I'm like actively working on now yeah, is, yeah. is get trying to just get better at communicating um, more time in the gym yeah get stronger <laughs> squat uh, day 150 grow those legs baby <laughs> um yeah, bro. I want to spend a lot more time with my siblings. They both live overseas. Will's in Australia. My sister's over in America. Um, so haven't spent that much time with them recently. Um, but I love them to pieces. And yeah, yeah. We get along so well. Um, and I miss them. So spending more time with them, going and see them, traveling and yeah, seeing, nice. seeing the world with them. Yeah. Finish with a quote or words of wisdom for our listeners. <sighs> Just do it, eh? Just do, Just it. do it. Yeah. Fucking no. Just fine. My one this week is when you stop making excuses, you start progressing. The choice is yours. Mm. So that kind of ties in with your money thing as well. It's yeah. Just an excuse to yeah. to hold you back. That's it. Love it. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Cool, bro.
Cheers for uh, introducing yourself to me at the gym that one morning. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> so Part good. of the community now. Yeah. Hopefully we'll start seeing you five days a week. Oh, <laughs> maybe if I move over here full time. Yeah, true, true, yeah. true. Uh, no, nah, thank you so much. It's been a privilege. Um, I've always wanted to ask you many questions about your business. Uh, you answered a lot. You've learned a lot. I'm sure you've shared a lot of uh, insights on how to start up a business, different things like that, and more relatable. You're a local Kiwi lad. You're not some CEO on, on the Diary of the CEO kind of business uh, mm-hmm. podcast, you know. Um, yep. So, yeah, no, nah, it's been a privilege. Uh, thank you so much. All right. Cheers, bro. Appreciate it. And that's a wrap for the week, team. I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I did. To stay up to date with the podcast, click the follow button, but you can also find more on the Instagram account, Relatable Chapters. Cheers.